Hello, this is episode 291 and in it I'm talking with Jesse Clark who is the Innovation and R&D Manager at ProClimber. ProClimber operates across the globe in more than 40 countries and enables healthy living conditions by protecting building structures from external and internal moisture damage. And their extensive range of high performance weather tightness and air tightness systems help to create draft free, long lasting and low allergen emitting surroundings for families, schools and businesses. Jesse Clark is a leader in the industry and has a wealth of experience and knowledge to share about building science, building condensation management, designing a building for your climate and understanding building systems to enhance thermal performance and moisture management. Now, many of the NCC 2022 updates, they relate to condensation management and how to create a healthy building. You've heard me mention the leaky building syndrome that's been experienced in other locations around the world, such as the UK, Canada and New Zealand, and that these NCC 2022 updates are moving towards helping Australian building avoid the same fate. You'll hear Jesse talk about how we've got here and what we've done to create this challenge that we're experiencing and then what opportunities there are for us to avoid future issues in our projects. And Jesse does an amazing job of helping us understand more about the terminology and the building science of it all. Now remember, if you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode, plus information on the resources that we discuss, you can do that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 291. That's the numbers 291. Now let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to Elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in Northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast, the website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take and the best way to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. 
So before I jump into the conversation, let me introduce you to Jessie Clark and ProClimber. So Jessie has more than 20 years experience in the construction industry. He holds the technical lead role of innovation and R&D manager at ProClimber, servicing Australia and New Zealand. And Jessie is an active advocate for a holistic approach, the development of industry guidance, standards and codes. As the Associate Director of the Australian Institute of Refrigeration, Air Conditioning and Heating, that's a mouthful, isn't it, or AIRAH, the Special Technical Group for Building Envelope Physics, he's driving standardisation around the use of hydrothermal analysis, which is WOOFI, for healthier and more durable buildings. And if all of that sounded confusing, just hold on because Jesse will explain more about it. So let's jump into my conversation with Jesse now. Well, Jesse, it's super exciting to have you here on the Undercover Architect podcast. You're somebody I've been wanting to speak to over, you know, in person on Zoom, uh, online for a very long time. You are a leader in the industry. You have a significant um, wealth of knowledge and experience about the topics that we're going to be talking about today. And so it's really awesome to have you here. And for those of uh, in the Undercover Architect, the architect community that might not have uh, heard from you or met you to be hearing from you here for the first time. So I'm wondering before we can before we jump into what we're going to be talking about, if you can just give us a little bit of background about yourself and how you got into the work that you're doing these days. Uh, okay, uh, how far how far back do you want to go? <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess if you go back to well, I start at the beginning. My I, I grew up in Sydney, but my dad was a builder. Uh, so I spent a bit of time on, on building sites when I was younger, you know, helping out, you know, learn how stud frames go together and timber framing and all that sort of stuff and putting plasterboard on walls, all that sort of fun stuff. But I actually did engineering at uni. So I went and did a, a degree in photovoltaics and solar energy at University of New South Wales. And I was That's always... where I went. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's where I did my architecture degree. It was great yeah, for that right. kind of study, yeah. I can imagine. So yeah. with the amount of research they had there. Yeah. So the photovoltaics thing was uh, led, uh, they were leaders in the field at University of New South Wales. So that was, yeah, you know, a bit of the progressive thinking side of things. So where's the world going? What do we need? You know, you know, solar panels, solar energy is going to be the next big thing. So I did that. Uh, pretty naive, I guess, because I thought, you know, three years was a long time, four years for a university degree is a long time. And, you know, the industry would be massive and booming. But when I got out of there, it wasn't as big and there weren't as many jobs as I thought there would be. Much different now, 20 odd years later. But um, I ended up then going into consulting. So consulting on sustainable building design. And that was about, yeah, energy efficiency and a lot of glass talk and, you know, performance glazing and how to stop buildings overheating and using too much cooling load. Did that for a few years and ended up transitioning into the building product sector, uh, which I actually loved a lot because it became more practical, as in how do you assemble buildings to actually get them to work? And that practical side of how to insulate buildings properly, because I was working for a building products group that did uh, insulation, and how to insulate the building properly. And then also, well, is insulation always just a good thing? You know, you know, marketing departments will never tell the negative side of, of, mm-hmm. of certain aspects of the products they sell. But if you don't insulate the building properly, then uh, you can end up creating perverse outcomes or as the regulators like to call it, unintended consequences. <laughs> and 
it's not that insulation is a bad thing. It's just if you don't know what you're doing, you can end up with unintended consequences. And those unintended consequences happen to be moisture, condensation, and perverse outcomes like mould in, in buildings. Uh, particularly when you start to then go, well, how do we make super airtight buildings that are super energy efficient and well insulated and we don't care much about moisture or forget about it, then you create potentially create big problems. Uh, and that's what I was doing in the building products group. So I was looking at the, the building science side of things. Um, so it's that sustainability bent, which is insulating buildings is a good thing. Yes, tick. But how do we do it really well so that we don't create unintended consequences on unhealthy buildings? Uh, so from there, ended up where I am now, which is talking about moisture and mould in buildings. And I ended up in this rabbit hole that I'm still stuck in. <laughs> and it's a rabbit hole that you're very well versed in. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and there's kind of you know the the engineering code of ethics. If you if you see something that is you know going to harm people, then you have to try and solve it. And that was ooh, I was lobbying for air tightness in the building code. Uh, things better, more energy efficiency. And it's like, well, hang on, maybe we better work out how to do it properly, and then we can push that lever or pull that lever as hard as we want on energy efficiency. Fantastic. Thank you for that run through. I was listening to a, another interview, I think that you'd done on the Sustainable Builders Yak, and you said that you grew up in a house where, where the bedroom had the exposed studs and they were your shelves. And I had to laugh because that's exactly what my son's bedroom <laughs> looks like. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's, I think that's all builders' houses, um, <laughs> which are half built because um, they do it in their spare time. So my dad was a builder and it was, you know, oh, I've got a few weeks, um, I'll, I'll, you know, Put a new wall in or you know put some plasterboard on here but we just had little noggins that we used to keep all our toys on all the lego <laughs> and everything that we used to make we're sitting on the exposed noggins yeah yeah very familiar so now i'm wondering if we can dive into sort of a building science 101 and just going back to basics for people to understand the undercover architect community i find has a varying range of knowledge in terms of some you know all across understanding air tightness, insulation, condensation management, those kinds of things, right through to people who it's their first foray into this. They're not even sure whether they can question how the builder might be building something or how something might be designed. So, you know, why do we need to understand moisture and, and vapour and how it moves through a building envelope and, you know, what's important to know about this from, you know, working with porous and non-porous materials and what this can do to set up not only the building's longevity, but then also the health of the occupants. Yeah. Okay. Um, the big question, it, I know, but yeah, kind of of, that's, that's what I mean. The rabbit hole that, you, that I never came out of. So, it all, yeah, like I said in the intro, it stems back to energy efficiency. We start to change the dynamics of a building when when the government turns around and pulls a massive lever and says you must insulate your building and keep insulated more and more on every few years. Or actually, I should say they haven't really cranked it much for the last ten years, but uh, it, it, it did increase from nothing to you know a decent amount of insulation, then you change the dynamics of the building. You're retaining energy, heat in the building or blocking the heat out of the building. But when you start to change the dynamics of that building envelope, if something, one side is going to stay warmer, the other side is going to get colder because you're retaining that energy. So the cold surface then becomes a potential risk of high humidity, condensation, mold growth. And then you start talking about porosity of building materials, uh, which yeah, I've been doing talking about a lot, but porosity and also vapour permeability. And porous materials 
which is stone, masonry, uh, timber, wood fibre, anything that has um, pores in it. Water vapour can generally get through, not necessarily, but generally get through. Uh, it's when you start to then go to non-porous building materials like glass, uh, aluminium, metals, then when they get cold, they condense water on them. And that becomes really obvious when you look at the old single glazed windows in houses. And mo or probably most parts of Australia, you, you people would experience condensation on single glazing during the winter. And that's, that's um, I guess, the early signs of, hey, maybe there's something wrong here or maybe there's something that could be done better. Yeah, we're, I don't know if I've answered your question yet. Yeah, no, <laughs> we're I think you have. We're talking about non-forest building materials. Uh, yep. and, uh, yes. Yeah, well, how, and, and thinking about this from climate to climate. So I know lots of people, for example, I put up a post um, recently on Instagram and um, Facebook. Uh, we have a dehumidifier going in my son's room in particular, pretty much 24-7. The house that I live in is a weatherboard house that was built in the 1980s, but it was built without any um, insulation in it. So the bit of insulation in the ceiling that, of course, is that glass bat that, you know, isn't doing a lot because it's sagged under its own weight over the years. But his dehumidifier will pull out, you know, on a on a humid day uh, in the middle of winter, we'll pull sort of six to seven litres, sometimes eight litres out of the air overnight. And I, a lot of people got in touch with me and said, well, we don't need to worry about that because we live in Adelaide or, you know, this is not something that we need to be concerned about because of where we are. So how do you see people misunderstanding how this can perform and work in different climates and then potentially just discarding condensation management as something that they need to think about versus making it relevant for their climate and understanding that it might still impact them in some way, shape or form? Yeah, it's something that always comes up, um, which is this is Australia. doesn't matter. We just do our own thing. No, that's a European problem, North American problem. US problem, but this is Australia. And for some reason, we don't have to worry about anything. And to some extent, people are right. If you're living in a really old, super air leaky house, then you might not have to worry. But uh, because all the air is just literally letting all the water vapor get out of the house, but you're not going to have a comfortable house and it's not going to be energy efficient. Um, well, it could be energy efficient if you just don't heat it and you just don't cool it. But if you don't heat it, then you've got to worry about well, how healthy are you keeping yourself in, in winter? So then it's a crossover with, well, how do we actually keep our house in a healthy climate condition? And then we're going to be air sealing it to help us do that in an energy efficient manner. And then moisture comes into the equation because we're starting to air seal and insulate. And then all of a sudden you the, the humidity and the moisture vapour that people, water vapour that people are giving off uh, is increasing the humidity indoors then you have to worry about moisture. And I mean, not worry, I guess, as such, but you have to design for it. And if you don't design for it and just say, she'll be right, then it's quite easily you, you can create a, a perverse outcome. Uh, so all the stuff around the, the building physics and you know the building science and air tightness, air tightness always falls at the heart of the whole discussion. But people, you either see it, a lot of people see it as a negative thing. Uh, I don't know where that's flipping. Hope, hopefully it is flipping because air tightness is actually, yes, it can create problems, but it's also the solution to the problem. Because once you start building semi-airtight buildings and you get this water vapour 
accumulation entrapment sort of indoor humidity increasing, the only way to actually control where that water vapour goes potentially accidentally into dark, damp cavities in your construction is to make your building more airtight so that it doesn't accidentally flow into your cavities. So you might start making the building more airtight and really controlling where you want that water vapour to go or not to go. And generally you want to let it go or control where it goes through fans and um, air distribution systems. So Into areas where they can then be dried out over time, yeah, to be ventilated, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. So, so you can you, you have a, a, a dedicated exhaust fan that, that carries all the moisture out. Uh, but if, if you've got super air leaky buildings or semi air leaky buildings, then that moisture just goes up into your roof cavities or into your wall cavities or wherever and finds a cold surface and goes, you know, oh, this looks pretty comfortable and sets on the cold surface and starts to go moldy. Yeah, and that's the thing I think people don't understand is that condensation in and of itself isn't the bad thing. It's it's prolonged condensation and what it then does under certain circumstances to be able to then grow into mould and degrade buildings and cause problems with people's health and, and and particularly when it's in areas that aren't visible day to day and what then can be happening behind the walls and the roof of yeah, your home. Correct, correct. And that's absolutely correct because I've actually said this in, in building codes committees and standards committees. It's like condensation is harmless. It's just water. It's that prolonged time factor in there when it's constantly wet, materials are constantly damp. They may not, may not be condensation. It may just be damp building materials because when building materials get um, cold, they start to absorb more moisture into the pores. So you've got these damp building materials creating higher humidity surrounding that building material. When you get high humidity above 70 80% for a prolonged period of times, uh, pro- prolonged period of time, then you potentially induce mold growth. And that's a potential problem that doesn't happen even when you don't have liquid condensate occurring. Uh, so, so it can become quite a complex issue, but it's well researched and it's, there are definitely uh, solutions out there in the market, but it, it, comes back to, it comes back to design, but more importantly, how you construct the building because it's a quality of construction necessary to, to get this all to work. Uh, and it's not just slapping things together and adding on another bedroom and increasing the floor space by, you know, 20 metres squared and going, yeah, great, I've got more floor space. It's about how, how do you actually put these systems together? How do you put the roofs together? What are the material layers you're using? What are these insulation types? How do you get air in and out of these systems to remove moisture if necessary? All this is super important uh, details that we need to consider. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, we're going to dive into some of those details because I think that it's worth alerting the undercover architect community that ProClimber released an incredible report. It's called An Australian-Based Study on Air Tightness and Moisture Management. It's an amazing report. It's also a chunky report. <laughs> so it's, it's got a lot of information in it, a lot of data in it, over 136 pages. And you are one of the key authors. What actually prompted ProClimber? Because this would have been a big investment of time, energy, resources. It, it spans over, you know, there's years of data in it. What actually prompted ProClimber to go through to the effort of compiling all of this together in this kind of, um, you know, uh, earmarked report that's just, you know, sort of almost draws a line in the sand, I think. And then how did you actually go about it? Because I can imagine it was a massive undertaking. <laughs> that's, uh, thanks for the question. It's, uh, <laughs> it was, it, it um, yeah, I guess it's, it, you're absolutely right. It was a massive undertaking. 
It's something ProClimate does all around the world. So it's not just an Australia study. There's a New Zealand study. There's an Irish study. There's, you know, you, you'd look in your online and you'll find them. But it's a bit it stems back to that uh, what I said earlier. But this is Australia. So you need to go. Well, okay, this is Australia. Let's take Australia. Let's do the analysis. Let's work out these systems that we're promoting as ProClimate. Why do they work or why don't they work? And, and some of our really standard generic systems that we use in cold parts of the world, they don't actually work in Darwin. And openly say that, but that's because this is Australia, but that's the tropics. And the tropics and that really hot, humid part of Australia does need to be addressed differently. And it's not the standard off-the-shelf proclimate system work that works, but the standard off-the-shelf proclimate system does work for the majority of Australia. Um, and I'm talking about, you know, I think we might get into it, but, you know, external membranes on the outside of the, the timber frame structures and air tightness uh, vapour control layers on the inside of the structures actually work for the majority of Australia and help deliver uh, construction systems that don't get wet from rain, don't leak, get water leaks into them and let the construction systems dry out. Um, so that's why the, the study came about, because it's like, well, we have to take the whole of Australia and we have to address every part of Australia and tell people why it works or why it doesn't work. And, I mean, by the time, it took four years, uh, to, to probably a good part of four years to get to the end of it. Uh, and that's, you know, a lot of the work done in the evenings and a lot of late night meetings with Germany and, you know, to and throwing on um, specific details and, you know, the, the, the correctness of all the points we're putting in, are we absolutely right? Um, so there was a lot of thought that went into it, a lot of meetings, a lot of time, uh, a lot of graphics, a lot of animations to try and get those those concepts across as, as clearly and concisely as we can. Uh, but like you said, there's still a massive chunk of information. But I think the one of the really important parts in that study was the, one of the later chapters, which was what are the people, builders around Australia, actually doing? And they're building, they're building this stuff. They're, they're building the ProClimate systems to deliver better, more healthy, more durable, more energy efficient buildings. And it's always, I guess, in Australia, people in the construction industry, a lot of people never want to be first. They always want to be second. But the good thing is there are a lot of builders out there already doing this stuff. And it does work in Australia. And yeah, it's been done all over Australia. And and that just a lot of the images and a lot of that was taken from content in out in the World Wide Web, social media basically. Fantastic. Yeah. I highly recommend that, um, that homeowners check it out. I, you know, undercover architect audience really does like to get itself informed. And so this is an opportunity. All it'll cost you is an email address. It's, you know, it's available on the ProClima website. So I'll pop that link in the resources. And I think at the very least alerting your professional team to it so that they can have a look at it. There's even the glossary of terms at the front is a really fantastic and handy kind of tool to have to sort of understand some of these things. And I, I wanted to dive into that because it says, um, and I'm going to read this out, the report begins by stating that this study outlines construction solutions to achieve low energy, healthy and durable housing for future generations. A desktop analysis using Woofy Pro software shows that in space conditioned housing, the incorporation of intelligent air barriers or IABs on the inside of the framed wall assemblies in Australia will almost completely eliminate the risk of mould within walls in all climates except the tropics. And then you go on to talk about what to do in the tropics as well. So can we just talk through some of these acronyms? So there's IABs, there's obviously VPMs, there's, uh, which are, you know, vapor permeable membranes, there's weather resistant barriers, uh, WRBs. It's a lot for homeowners to kind of navigate. 
how do these how do these barriers work and how are they different to foil sarking and you know the blue wrap that everybody or green wrap depending on what state you're in that everybody is so used to seeing and you know in terms of also understanding you know because the national construction code then refers to pliable building membranes so it uses another terminology you know how do homeowners need to understand these different acronyms these different products and how it differs to what we've been using previously yeah and i mean it's understanding acronyms is part of uh, what makes you an expert right (laughs) (laughs) people people bring them up just so that um, people don't know what you're talking about and you need to do you know three years of study to work out what the acronyms mean um (laughs) but ultimately the yeah if we where do you want to start and which the the wrb on the outside the iab on the inside wrb on the outside so whether resistive barrier is what we were calling it or what we are calling it, but this varies around the world. So the weather resistive barrier is what sits on the outside of the, let's call it an insulated timber stub, stub frame. And that on the outside of that WRB, there's going to be a, a clad in a, a fibre cement, a uh, weatherboard, a brick veneer, whatever it might be. But that is literally a sarkin. It's a sarkin type material. Um, the issue that we had with sarkin and sarkin type materials is that there's a legacy. The legacy there of the history of use in Australia is sarkin is aluminium foil that you buy in Bunnings. And that's not what we want to be associated with. Uh, so weather resistive barrier is a term that was used in US mainly but sometimes it's also a water-resistive barrier. But whatever you're defining as, we, we actually chose the term weather for a specific reason because those membranes on the outside, it's not just water that you've got to prevent getting into your building. There's wind pressure on the outside that uh, of, the, of the cladding materials or the walls. That wind pressure is what forces water into the system. The membranes have to withstand that wind and that water getting in the construction system. They also have to withstand, well, maybe during the construction process is exposed to UV. It's exposed to UV, it's it's part of the weather. So it's also got to resist that UV to a certain extent. And that's part of the durability story around proclimus membranes because they're, they're some of the most uh, durable membranes on the market as well. And then also you have high temperatures, summer in Australia. Cladding, lightweight cladding systems, even metal cladding systems, if you're going for colour bond or something like that, can get extremely hot. Uh, and then the membranes have to withstand those that heat as well. So that weather resistive is all those elements, but it's there to stop water getting into the um, insulated timber structures. So that's the outside, weather resistive barrier. And weather contains, the, well, the term weather is all those aspects I talk about. And it's resistive not because resistant yeah there's a difference in that as well yeah so weather resistive and that this is again stolen from all the the intellectuals in the us as well because uh, i'm sure they debated this in committees and you know sitting around the campfire for a long time because resistive implies that you're never going to have perfection um if it's just a weather barrier full stop end of story you're implying that it's perfect but the point is that no matter how we try hard we try as designers as builders to get it absolutely weather tight, you almost always might end up with some water leaking into your structure. And if that happens, you need to ha- make sure that all the layers around that um, structure are vapor permeable to allow it to dry out. 
And that's part of the story as well. So, so the resistive is actually a really important word in that, in that term. And the barrier part is, well, that's what we're striving to get, barrier. But like I said, perfection is impossible. So let's just go for as close to perfection as we can get. Awesome. And then the vapor permeable membrane or the VPM? Yeah, so vapor permeable membranes. Ooh. So is that in the glossary, is it? No, well, I think that that's just that's that's another way that these layers get talked about in terms of being whether they're vapor permeable or um, or vapor barriers. So in terms of people understanding that and again how that might because I, I think that some builders who aren't um, informed about this would argue that a perforated uh, foil sarking that's just had holes stabbed in it with nails or you know has come perforated would would be considered a vapor permeable membrane so how does how does that differ as well from the foil sarkings that we you know that we've previously used yeah yeah okay so vapor permeable technically it is a vapor permeable membrane if you've got holes in a vapor barrier so holes in a sheet of aluminium becomes vapor permeable yes but it's missing that weather resistive part because the water is going to go straight through the holes. So you get any wind pressure, any water onto that membrane uh, under in a, in a wall system, for example, then the water is going to go straight through it. The wind pressure drives the water straight through the holes. The Australian standard doesn't let you use those perforated membranes on a roof system, for example, because obviously gravity is just going to drain the water straight through the holes. So... Vapor permeable VPN, vapor permeable membrane, um, yeah, it often gets thrown around, and that probably stems back to the Australian Standard 4200 Part One, which has certain classifications around membranes. And this was opened up in 2017. I was actually on that standards committee, and the classifications of the membranes um, are class one to class four. Class one and two are vapor barriers, and these existed have existed forever. Uh, in Australia, and that's the aluminium foil type membranes. But then class three and class four start getting into membranes that allow water vapour to pass through them. And the aluminium foils with holes in them would technically fall somewhere in that class three, class four. But they've got that major problem of water holdout and being a water barrier um, protection against driving rain ingress. So that's what a VPM is, something that allows water vapour to pass through it. Gotcha. I think it's it's interesting kind of to mention as well, I think what I've noticed in the difference between how uh, people think about construction systems in Australia versus, you know, in places like Europe and um, America, particularly from a building science point of view, is that there's an expectation in Australia that in a timber framed lightweight wall that the cladding is doing the waterproofing of the wall. And yet in uh, the States and in other locations, there's an expectation that you still need a line of weather resistance behind the line of the cladding and that the cladding's not going to do 100% of the job of making the wall weather resistant. And and so it can be quite interesting for people to kind of contend. I noticed that there's a mindset shift for people building in Australia when we're so used to that being, you know, a brick veneer or a FC wall or a weatherboard wall, the expectation is, well, why do I need this layer inside my wall when the cladding's doing, you know, all of the jobs of keeping the wall dry? Mm. And and that's, yeah, it, it's a massive misconception of, of, of how um, weatherproofing or, well, how, how weatherproofing in wall systems actually works. And I've been having this discussion at a building codes level as well. 
because it's like, why are you specifying in the building code systems like light cl lightweight clad walls need to do this or brick veneer walls need to do this? It's, it's not the cladding type that even matters. You need to take it back and say every construction system in this country, in every climate zone, needs to have a weather-resistive barrier. You need to have that on the drawings and you need to be able to point that to that when it's installed. And it's not the cladding. It's the layer that sits behind the cladding. Then you've got a chance of making that system weather type. It's There are some construction wall systems on the market that try and seal the cladding to the extent that the cladding itself is the weather type layer. There's, well, there's some major problems with that. And the thing is that when you start to cork cladding, let's take fibre cement, for example, six mil fibre cement, put on the wall, cork all the joints or seal them all up. Eventually they're going to crack. Eventually they're going to crack. They're going to crack on the joints. They're going to crack around the windows and how you connect it into the windows. When it cracks up, then you get rain on that cladding with some wind pressure, just a small amount of wind pressure. It drives water straight through all those, those failed joints. And that gets into the wall system. And then how's it going to dry out? Because uh, you've got no ventilation. So then if you get too much water in there, then the whole system just starts to rot. And what I'm describing here is something that you may have heard before, which is the uh, New Zealand leaky building crisis. And that essentially is what caused it. You put all your eggs in one basket and that basket is the render coat or the basket is the paint coating on the outside of the fibre cement. You've got a massive problem when that cracks up. And that's it for part one of my conversation with Jesse. If you'd like to download the amazing resource that I talked about with Jesse, I'll actually pop a link for it in the resources for this episode. It's called An Australian-Based Study on Air Tightness and Moisture Management. And the introduction to this report says this. It says, Australia is moving forward with energy efficiency of its housing stock and recently a connection to healthy buildings has been made. Specifically, there have been several recurring themes emerging in the race to zero energy thermal stress on people, moisture issues and the effects that this can have on the health of the occupants. When energy efficiency is implemented, poorly unintended consequence of mouldy damp houses are possible. But when implemented well, the inhabitants will be happier, healthier and more resilient with economic benefits on a personal level as well as an economy-wide scale. So as I mentioned, it's a free download. You just have to pop your email address in. It contains a wealth of information, construction details and climate-specific insights to help you with your project. And as Jesse mentioned, this research happens also in other locations globally. ProClimate undertakes this research. So if you're from somewhere else in the world listening to this episode, try heading to the ProClimate uh, website that's in your region and see what resources are available to help you there. In the next episode, you're going to hear part two where Jesse will talk more about the NCC 2022 updates. We go into some specific information about those and Jesse shares his thoughts on them. He also shares about what he thinks is missing and you need to be aware of to ensure that you don't actually create those unintended consequences in your future home. And we'll learn more about the detailing of roofs and walls and why you can't rely on your external cladding to make your home weather resistive. So be sure to tune in for that. A few reminders before I finish up this episode. Firstly, if you'd like a transcript of this episode, I've got a free download of it uh, with the resources that you need. So you can grab that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 291. That's the numbers 291. Now, if you're a like-minded industry professional listening to this podcast and you're located anywhere in the world and you help homeowners who are renovating or building their homes, 
uh, and you'd like to work more closely with Undercover Architect community members, then I'd love you to check out the UA Army. It's free to join and you can find it by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash army. That's A-R-M-Y. And of course, if you would like more structured help and guidance and to feel more confident and in control as you learn the steps from start to finish of your project journey and ultimately how you can create a great home that you love living in with all of these kinds of things taken into consideration, then Home Method is definitely the place for you. You'll join a community of amazing and super informed homeowners. They're a very special group, the Home Method community, and they're on a similar journey to you sharing along the way. And of course, it's where you can access my personalized support and guidance in your project as well. You can find out more about Home Method by heading to homemethod.com.au and the Undercover Architect website. It's up there on the menu. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Just a reminder, all content on this podcast is provided by Undercover Architect for reference purposes and as general guidance. It does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. You should seek independent verification or advice before relying on this content in any circumstances, including but not limited to circumstances where loss and damage may result. The views and opinions of any guests on the podcast are solely their own and may not reflect the views of Undercover Architect. Undercover Architect endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or has become inaccurate over time. Thank you.